wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 322 of the podcast with my guest, Teresa Edmonds. I'm sure you noticed that it, we have called this episode part one. Listen, spoiler, 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 but there is a part two. Uh, it is a very long conversation. In fact, it spans over two separate conversations. For me, this was a really fascinating and kind of important conversation because we go real deep into things that are happening inside the Latter-day Saints Church. Uh, I have a vested interest and fascination in such things. If you're a listener to the podcast, you know that it has come up before. I'm sure it will again. Uh, so in addition to talking about Tresa and her background, which of course, includes a lot of that. Uh, we go we go big picture on a lot of stuff. And so for me, it was just a conversation I didn't want to cut short, uh, but I wanted to circle back and and have a little fun with Tresa as well. So this is part one. Next week will be part two. I think it's well, well worth a listen. I hope you enjoy it. Uh, only other thing I want to remind everyone is that PodX is swiftly approaching. I'm going to be there the end of this month in Nashville. You can go to podx.com for more information. You can use code JV Club or go to podx.com slash jvclub for a discount to uh, the festival uh, slash convention slash all things podcast. And I hope to see some of you there. I'm going to be doing some other live shows and panels. And uh, I'm really excited. I can't wait. So enjoy this episode and I'll talk to you soon. goodness um how many years has it been that we've been talking about doing this probably oh, yeah. very early on um because yeah you and i e met um pretty pretty early on in my uh inception of my podcast and stuff yeah so it's been a good it's a it's been a good long time well 2012 is when mitt romney ran for president and that's when <gasps> i was doing a lot of that kind of stuff so i think it's been since 2012 that we've been trying to i mean i think you're absolutely right that to that math totally checked out to me <laughs> i forgot that it was i really did forget that it was mitt romney related though that's amazing that's a blessing uh, it's the most <laughs> listen it's the it's the it's maybe the only thing i can tie to my life at all that uh gives any significance to mitt romney running so <laughs> this is very very interesting i'm honored for, for though for people who don't know which i think there will be a handful oh that's uh, generous why why <laughs> why let's 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 let the listener know why it would have mattered uh that that yield Mitt Romney was running for president how yeah uh, tell us about that well uh he like me at the time uh comes from the Latter-day Saint tradition, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. He's still active. I am not. But uh, at the time I was, and I was doing a lot of um, like pundit work and writing and stuff like that, trying to contextualize and explain Mormonism to a bunch of people who were curious and uh, questioning what would this mean for a world leader? <laughs> and um, sure. because even when I was active, I've always been kind of a misfit Mormon. So even in my most you know, orthodox years, I was always the person who could articulate some of the problems within our community. Um, and to me, that was always out of loyalty. Uh, it was not interpreted that way usually, mm -hmm. but it was my loyalty and my devotion to the church that made me want to be a faithful critic because I, 
I just assumed every, every good intention. And I just thought, well, you know, it's, it's a big church. Maybe they just don't know. And they just need people who can tell them. And because I have a background in feminist activism and feminist theory, I thought I'd be the person to do that. And, um, they did not agree. (laughs) Goodness. Yeah. And then, so, and so you and I, I ended up, uh, you and I were in touch anyway. And then Mm -hmm. I ended up doing a segment on HuffPost live, uh, back in the day, um, maybe a year or so after that, mm-hmm. that, uh, that I was really excited about, which was the sort of concept of people staying, you know, staying within their religions, mm-hmm. um, and trying to instigate change, um, because there were enough things that they believed in, uh, within it that they felt, you know, that, that it was worth staying and that it was worth trying to, um, you know, update and bring, bring certain elements into the 21st century, mm-hmm. etc. So, um, and, and you were fantastic as I knew you oh, would be. And you. we had, we had, we had a handful of, of different people and, and it was one of those segments where I just really felt like so jazzed <laughs> and felt like, Oh, this is speaking of drinking the cool day. Like, this is what this is all about. This is why I signed up for this. That's what, this is why I let them suck me into their strange Huffington post world. Um, it's still one of the the segments I think back on and I'm like, yeah, see, that's that, that, that points to what I thought was interesting and cool about, you know, riding my bike into the AOL building (laughs) every day, which in all other ways doesn't really seem like it makes a lot of sense for me. Um, uh, so yeah, so obviously you and I are going to probably get into that, uh, in a, in a pretty deep and lasting way for the podcast. So why don't I, why don't I get, and I, this sounds very dismissive, but uh, why don't I get out of the way where, <laughs> where you where you grew up, where you were a teenager, sure. and uh, and I really don't mean that in a, in no. a get it out of the way actually kind of sense. In establishing a social location, that's how we yes, would talk yes, about indeed. it in activist spaces. Um, well, I this is it's going to be a story. I actually have a little stand up bit I do where I just talk about how horrible it is to try to have like a cocktail party conversation with me because. Because every road leads to disaster. Um, so, so basically, uh, my life has been very untraditional. Uh, like the best way I could describe it is if you've ever read The Glass Castle or um, that new book, uh, Tara Westover's Educated. That would give you a glimpse into kind of what I which come I have from. not, by the way, read either. So I'm already in trouble. <laughs> Well, I think those are, anyway, that's a different, con- we could have a book club discussion later, but uh, I, I don't think it says anything bad about you that you don't, that you haven't read those books. Um, okay. but, but it was very uh, chaotic. My parents are, the simplest way to describe them is just dirtbags, you know, like shitty childhoods happen and they happen to me. And I, I just am a big believer in like, let's just normalize survivorship. You know, like, let's just stop apologizing for the sins of somebody else. I didn't make a choice for my parents to behave the way they behaved. That's not on me. So why am I living my whole life in shame that it did? Fuck that. No, I'm not ashamed. I had a shitty childhood. I'm great now. It can happen. The end. Yes, Um, absolutely. (laughs) But we moved basically every year. 
um, because uh, for a variety of dirtbag reasons, you know, can't hold a job, running out of town, whatever. Um, and so the result of that was that I really don't have a hometown. I don't, I didn't go to high school um, for different reasons than is in Tara Westover's book, uh, but related. Um, and uh, so really my only community was in the church. And because my parents were so uh, chaotic and abusive and uh, neglectful, uh, it was really the only place I got to experience any kind of stability or love or goodness or hope that my future could be different than what my mm. parents were setting me up for. Uh, yeah. Other adults who gave a damn about whether I lived or died. I mean, it's dramatic, totally. but it's also facts. <laughs> and so, yeah, yeah. Uh, and how powerful, how powerful to have a place that feels like you know, yeah, a calm and a storm. It, that... it absolutely was for me. Like when I, um, I, so I dropped, I'll give you the briefest nutshell version of this. I was always a very good student. That was like my nest in a chaotic world. Um, but I have sisters who bookend me and, uh, they were both not successful traditional students. And, uh, so my mom found this uh, place called Benjamin Franklin Academy. Uh, it was a non-accredited, air quotes, homeschool support program <laughs> um, mm -hmm. that was similar to some of the stuff that Tara Westover writes in her book for readers who've read it. Um, but it was one of those places where you study all history about founding fathers. The curriculum was written by the guy who started the school, and it's all about how like all of human history was so that God could create a Christian nation preppery kind of stuff, you know? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So I went there for a year and completed that program, which. And that's, you went there like where, where, Oh, sorry. Where, I skipped. It yes. Was in a location. Um, that's okay. So my mom found this program for my sisters, um, and so they both dropped out of, well, my younger sister dropped out of uh, middle school to go to this program. And my mom told me that if I would also drop out so that I could drive her to this program, which was about a half an hour away from our home in Snohomish, Washington at the time, um, that uh, she would buy me a car. And I recognized that as my way out. And so I jumped on it and I dropped out of school and the car I got was literally like a $200 drive it off the junkyard special, mm -hmm. you know, and, uh, but I drove that back and forth to that awful, <laughs> the people were incredible. The people were so lovely and warm, but the curriculum was rather alarming. And, uh, so then I finished that and then I moved out, um, in with uh, my former MyMate advisor, who was the, basically the Sunday school teacher for 14 year old girls. She mm. had moved. And was, yeah, sorry. It was no. Benjamin. So was the Academy mm -hmm. LDS based or related or was it just an, another kind of hardcore Christian it was organization? A, it was founded by a church member. It wasn't affiliated, oh, okay. you know, but uh, it was one Got of those things it. that really pop up a lot in like niche communities where it's like tangential, but kind of serves the same market, you know? So all the gotcha. kids I went to school with were LDS and the people who wrote the curriculum were LDS, but it was nominally not an LDS school, but everybody knew it was an LDS Got school it. kind of a thing. Got it. <laughs> yep. uh, yeah. So, um, yeah. So once I was done with that, um, I had this car, so I just left home and I moved in with my MyMate advisor and, uh, 
only that only lasted for a little while because she was only like 23. She had two kids. It was, yeah, it was a, she was very generous, but, uh, that stopped working out. So then I just kind of moved into my car and I, uh, hopped around from place to place. I'd crash on people's couches or sleep in somebody's backyard or go home with somebody from work and buy him cereal in the morning or something. And, uh, and this is all still kind of in the Washington area. Yeah. In the like yeah. Snohomish County area, like Linwood Everett, just North of Seattle. Um, and yeah, just bouncing around. And, uh, it's funny cause I used to tell that story and like really relish people's reactions. I'd be like, yeah, I'm just like Jewel, you know, I just live in my car. <laughs> you know? And now when I say it, Seattle has changed so much that it's like, yeah. So you were from Seattle. You know, like, <laughs> right. Doesn't right. doesn't have the cachet no one at once. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. What was your relationship with your sisters like when you moved out? I mean, did you guys were you still were you close? Were you ever close? Did you stay in touch with that with each other while they were were they still living at home when you left, or what did that look like? It was very complicated. I'd say the best way to describe my relationship with my siblings is just to kind of, I guess trauma bonded really is the best way yeah. to describe it. There'd be times where we would be intensely close. Like uh my one sister is just younger than me, we would sleep in the same bed just to feel comfort, you know. And then the next day, uh she would like sell me out to look good in front of it was very Lord of the Flies, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there'd be times when we would feel like like there was not another person on the planet who could understand us like this person. And then there was another times where we would be at literally at each other's throats with fingernails and claws. So sure. it, uh yeah. yeah, there was and and we really suffered because of the dynamic that my parents set up for us. There there are five of us in total. And they really pit us against each other. They, they really had us um, just this, it's the scarcity model. You know, if you don't have mm-hmm. food or clothes or attention or, you know, basic supplies, you do all kinds of things um, to get them, including step on the neck of your sister or brother sure. uh, to get what you need. So like there'd be, I dropped out of school to help her in part, you know, but also we're no longer in touch. So it's just very complicated. And ultimately with um, most of them, there's still a couple siblings that I talked to, but uh, I've just had to put up boundary, boundary, boundaries because um, like we just have very different, um, I don't know, positions, I guess is the way to say it. We've had taken very different positions about our uh, childhood and background. And, um, mm. they'll kind of say like, yeah, it was a shitty childhood, but what are you going to do? And I say, actually, no, that it was rife with emotional and physical and sexual abuse and people deserve to be held accountable and we can break these patterns and, and they just think I'm melodramatic. So <laughs> sure, sure. <laughs> and yeah. how, how much did people like your Maya Maid's advisor or anyone else within a ward or the stake or, mm-hmm. or what have you guys, for those of you who aren't as familiar with LDS lingo, those are just ways of dividing like congregations, you know, dividing small, bigger and bigger. Yeah. And yeah. biggest congregations by, by location. But, um, did you, were there people within the church that you disclosed stuff mm-hmm. to, or were you just kind of like, you know, not unspecific, but they could sense that something was amiss. Yeah. Some of both, you know, cause like when you, when you grow up in an abusive environment, you know, you're a child, that's your normal. You don't know any different. Yeah. So you, yeah. you don't know that there's anything to report. You just like, 
for a long time, I really wrestled with this idea of recovered memories. Like I'm just going to recover something that explains all this pain I feel, especially in the nineties, you know, early nineties that we were all talking about recovered memories. Like it was this brand new thing, but, uh, and very skeptical and you know, all of this. And what I've learned through my own healing and education is that, um, a lot of what people, I mean, there is clinically recovered memories. We know much more about PTSD now. Also, what people might have been tempted to call recovered memories, I think is really just recovery from gaslighting and recognizing that no, things were as bad as they felt. You weren't allowed to claim Mm. it. You weren't allowed to talk about it. You didn't have the language for it, but it felt bad because it was bad. And you just didn't know how to talk about that because it was Mm. the only thing you knew. But, uh, yeah, So there were that makes that makes a ton of sense. Absolutely, I didn't have the language to really say no. Listen, somebody's beating me at home. You need to do something. You know, right? So instead, I would like kind of feel it out and see what their response was. And usually, what I got was, yeah, teenagers are hard. You'll understand when you're a parent. They were not getting. They weren't reading between my lines because that's all I had to give. You know, they weren't picking up what I was putting down. And then eventually. When things really got to a head just before I left home, I did talk to my bishop, who's like the pastor of our local congregation. And I told him flat out what was happening. And my mom actually, my mom is also an abuser, but she was also being abused in a way by my father. So, uh, so she talked about the abuse that she was experiencing and he said, that this is like a family legend now. She has never let anyone forget these words. They will be etched on her tombstone. (laughs) But what he said in response to her was, well, you need to quit your job. You need to dedicate yourself to home and family. And this is all happening because you're ego-driven and intimidating. Those two words, ego-driven and intimidating. That's what will be on her tombstone. (laughs) Like It it has become a mantra, ego-driven and intimidating, which to be fair to her, even though she is a, a bit of a nightmare, I mean, that's a really fucked up thing to say to somebody who is yeah. confessing abuse to you. <laughs> that's yeah. real bad. So yeah, that was a disaster. I went to that same bishop. He didn't believe me. I just got to honor your parents lecture. I went to a different bishop. He also didn't believe me. I got another honor your parents lecture. And then finally, I went to a third bishop. And this was the one I was... Um, I was in his congregation when I lived with my mind advisor. And so he was already getting the picture. This girl doesn't live with her parents. There's something more to this story. So he sure. was finally able to kind of listen to what I was saying and put some pieces together. And he was the first one that acknowledged this behavior as abusive. He also didn't report it or didn't offer me counseling or anything because the attitude was basically, well, you're out of there. So you're fine. I mean, there's nothing to do. Right. So he at least, so it's just a real mixed bag because he was very caring and very validating in a lot of ways, but especially by our current standards, completely dropped the ball as well. Even the good right. ones, you know, didn't get it. Uh, so now this is actually a big part of my activism is, uh, Uh, specifically addressing how the church deals with sexual abuse and sexual assault cases. We can get more into that later, but. (laughs) Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. Hey, 
Max Fun listeners. Have you been listening to Max Fun for a while and you've just been wondering, where's the new Flat Earth podcast I keep hearing about? Well, here it is. We give you all the facts on NASA's lies and how we know that the Earth is actually flat. Just, just kidding. kidding. <laughs> this is Ono, Ross, and Carrie, and we join fringe religious groups. We undergo alternative medical treatments. And we hang out with people like 9-11 truthers, flat earthers. We find out why do people believe strange things. We join them, and we tell you all about it. We have a lot of fun. We make a lot of friends. Yeah, we do. We joined the Mormons. We joined the Scientologists. We got acupunctured. We got fire cupped. We got ear candled. We've done it all, and we're going to keep doing it all. Why don't you check out Ono, Ross, and Carrie at MaximumFun.org? Well, I, you know, I can't, I can't remember if, if I, if you and I connected about this, obviously I, I know that we had a, a few uh, brief email yeah. exchanges about um, abducted in plain sight, yes. but, um, but mm-hmm. that, but the, 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 this American life episode, mm-hmm. this, yeah, the Elma, Elma Baker, Baker's piece, yes. yeah, which was about, for those of you who don't know, which was, it was about the, the sort of mm-hmm. arbitrary nature. If you aren't a person who believes in um, divine intervention divine uh prophecy all that kind of stuff divine direction um that what you hear when you hear that somebody is told like okay god has now decided that you will be the leader of this particular congregation right um it's not a permanent post you're not a priest you're not a uh, you know you're, you're not you don't go to school to become you're not paid um, or trained you're not paid or trained. It's just something that is bestowed upon you mm-hmm. for a for a period of time, which then ends and somebody else takes over. And uh, and so you, the the equipment with which you are armed for the amount of responsibility that you then have for the congregation seems minimal at best. And so Elma Baker, who grew up Mormon, mm-hmm. did a piece on her own experience with these interviews that sh- that she and and other adolescents would have with the mm-hmm. bishop where uh where you have to where that you were asked about your sexual activity you're asked mm-hmm. you know if you masturbate all of these things are sinful um and you know how 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 do you atone for them and all that kind of stuff and within that framework even the most well-intentioned right men are put in a really weird position when they're told what they're supposed to ask and and advise um and then there are uh, you know also people who take advantage of that and kind of seem to get off on yep. this kind of whole information and and stuff and so there's just this zero accountability yep. <laughs> whatsoever Absolutely. for that sort of responsibility it's a very it's a very chilling story that she reported on i thought of you Thank you. Uh, these are just guys that are like plumbers during the week, you know, work in an office somewhere, middle management, like just regular dudes. My favorite one was a stockbroker yes! in Tucson. And I remember thinking like, I, this isn't, I'm, I'm having trouble. Like for some reason that one really stuck out to me. Mm-hmm. And I, I also liked him the most, but I also was like, this was weird somehow. Like yeah. he's like a Tucson based stockbroker who is now, you know, in charge of this entire congregation yeah. on a spiritual level it just seems so weird it's to me, so but. weird and mormons attitudes towards their spiritual leader in in a like drawing an analogy to a different faith community i would say it most uh strongly aligns with how uh rabbis are treated by their congregation like uh the rabbi says it's okay so it's okay 
You know, the rabbi's yes. coming yeah. to dinner or I asked the rabbi about, you know, what investments we should make. And he says, this is like, that is really how it is for Mormons. Like this is a guy and yet, and, but yeah, rabbis and yet are trained. studies take years and yeah, it's your entire, it's your, it's your lifetime's devotion. Uh, yes. in addition to, yeah. And, and as a bishop, you're like, no. well, this couple of years is going to be intense. Yeah. You're just thrown in. Like they literally say a prayer over you. You don't get a meaning. You don't get training. You don't get a class. You don't get nothing. You're a plumber. And then on Sunday you show up and there are people who will ask you, what, where they should invest their money. There's people who will ask you, uh, you know, if they should get a divorce and, and ask you to be their counselor for them. And there's people who will be reporting abuse and they don't, they don't even have the education to understand that date rape is rape. Like literally that's where we are. I can't even tell you over my years working, I've been working in as a Mormon feminist activist, literally my entire adult life. I started at 18 when I was at BYU and I was one of the co-chairs of the feminist club on campus, which was a constant war. Um, and I've just been at it ever since. So I can't even, I'm now 40. So I can't even tell you how many women over those years I have known personally, I've held their hands, listened to their stories, cried with them, mourned with them the whole bit, who have been forced to repent for their rapes who have mm. gone to their bishop and said that I went on a date, this happened. And similarly to me, you know, when you, we go through these traumatic experiences, we, we can't process it in real time. We can't contextualize and articulate it and say, this is why it wasn't my fault. And this was why maybe this behavior can, you know, no, that's, no, that is not the time or place for any of this. But these women are primed to think of any kind of sexual contact, unwanted or not, as sin, and there's a lot of reason for that. There's a preaching that that comes from. And uh, then they go to their bishop, like with this just torn up inside, tr looking for comfort, looking for some explanation, some way to deal with what has happened to them. And they're uh, sometimes excommunicated for committing sexual sin. Sometimes they're disfellowshipped, which means that they don't get to participate in certain ceremonies and that can be public. Um, there's, and then usually for the boys, they're just like sent on their mission, like the mission will fix them. So the girl who was raped is home facing all this discipline while the rapist is out, you know, around the world preaching of Christ. And <laughs> it, it's so backwards. It's, it's yeah. yeah. Mind blowing. Well, and so for me, this is, this is all, this is all fascinating and, 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 and disturbing yes. in the sense that because I, because I had such a, a non-committal cursory relationship to the church mm -hmm. when I was old enough to have any sort of sense of any of this kind of stuff, I, I was so in my own world of right. like, you know, doing drugs and having sex and stuff like that, but still, you know, n being expected to show up for, for church on Sunday and having yeah. a dear, dear friend who I loved there, who was, you know, one of my best buddies who in my mind, I thought, well, we'll both, you know, end up not here and not doing this. And I was completely and totally wrong about him. And he has a wonderful family and a wonderful career in life. And I couldn't be more proud of him. But mm -hmm. uh, at the time, it was that was I, I felt like he was, you know, sort of like the thing I looked forward to at church because I knew that we would kind of laugh together over stuff. Yeah. Um, but 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 the sort of <laughs> the sort of like surface like when everything and 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 i'm not suggesting that this even exists but by appearances that when you're not personally involved in any of that kind of stuff mm -hmm. uh and you're just looking at the church functioning on a surface level right. 
um, none of that stuff rises to the surface, right? You yeah. don't see, you don't, you're just like, oh, the, look how, the, look how well run this is. And right. like, oh, people, it's very communal. And it's, and it's kind of nice that there isn't just one authority figure that everyone defers to all the time, that like people have a different, different opportunities, experiences to either lead or be led mm-hmm. or, you know, teach or be taught. And there's this sort of magnanimous quality that I, you know, even as a person who didn't believe in the church, sort of appreciated on again on the sort of surface level, mm-hmm. um, because there's because it because it just seems like a cute small town in this in the same right. way where someone's like, wait a minute, that girl got murdered in a small town. Everyone knew each other. What are you talking exactly. about? Nothing bad ever happens. It was where everyone leaves their doors unlocked. It's like, oh, this is that. Like this is a sort of philosophical metaphorical version of that where you know everyone leaves their doors open and da 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 and that thus there couldn't be anything going on behind closed doors and and so to just imagine for me the idea of you know just sort of like hearing like little bits and pieces of gossip about Mm -hmm. you know somebody's daughter who you know wasn't going to church anymore and right. you know what did that mean or you know the the woman who got divorced and ended up marrying a missionary 20 years her junior and stuff yep. like that like these yep. sort of tiny whispers that got stamped out fairly quickly mm-hmm. um it's so it's so crazy for me as the person I am now to sort of project back and think like oh as a 16 year old or you know as a 15 right. year old whatever to think that that there could be strains of this running through the sort of bland experience that I was having is is chilling you know what I mean it really it really is but here you were as a teenager getting the most you could just to to jettison back to that for a second yes uh, because you you, so much has happened for for you since then Mm -hmm. to have the thing that feels the most that 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 has that you know that has that foundation for you the thing that does feel like it has the the firmest foundation under your particular circumstances and feeling the most accepted and cared for mm-hmm. um on the positive side of of what the church has to offer obviously that uh as as you were saying was was something that became incredibly important to you yeah uh, and something to fight for right even if there were things that you disagreed with how how did you come to uh when so so when you went to BYU you were coming to it with uh not uh, not typical high school credits right. yeah how did that yeah. work well a little bit of fraud um <laughs> great 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 um I actually uh okay so I finished with Benjamin Franklin Academy I was 16 and then at the, I'm not sure if it still does but at the time Washington State had a program where you could earn college like community college credits during your high school years so I uh kind of gamed that program a little bit so that I, I got my associate's degree from Edmonds Community College in Edmonds, Washington. And at the time I was Teresa Brown and now I am Teresa Edmonds. So I always love that little detail because it makes me feel like a Dickensian orphan. No kidding. Um, (laughs) So I got my associate's degree, uh, because of this, uh, running start program. Um, and then I got my GED after I finished my associate's degree, because that's, like I still had to be in high school to do it. So I had to wait for my GD. Uh, and then I, um, created a transcript from Benjamin Franklin Academy. Um, and that did not exist. I mean, I didn't, it's not like I, you know, I'm still a Mormon youth, so it's not like I <laughs> created a bunch of false stuff, but, uh, well, yeah, but I mean, this sort of thirst, the clear thirst for education yeah. and feeling like, 
how do I get myself? I mean, it seems to me that it that it was just this. Uh, this it was a hustle to be like how. Yeah, but but like how? But just how do I get back to normal? Like yes. how, quote, quote unquote normal. Yeah. How do I get to where I can be a freshman at BYU University? Mm-hmm. That is that is all you know. That's that is dream. something that represents like stability yeah. and you know this return to like you didn't get to go to conventional high school but you know how do you how do you get there you know you're smart you know you you know you also have a sense of your reality being different from other people's reality mm-hmm. and 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 what do you have to do to just put yourself back on a, a path yeah. that feels like it's you know normal yeah I I actually had to transfer as a um, transfer student because I never would have let gotten in as a freshman. Uh, it's super, super competitive, especially now. It's nuts to try to get in. Uh, so that was another way I took a back door. I came in as a transfer student, but my my diploma still says BYU and I didn't pay as much for it. So, bleh. but, <laughs> but I did have like the worst culture shock ever. Cause I literally came from sleeping in strangers backyards in Seattle to BYU dorm. And there's mm. just, I mean, I, my roommates actually gave me, it was a term of endearment that I took as such. Uh, but my nickname was conversation killer CK CK, because we'd be, we'd be sitting around in our apartment and they'd be telling their stupid teenage stories of like, oh, this is the time I toilet papered my principal's house and this is the time I stole a road sign. And then I'd be like, oh, that reminds me of the time that my mom had me take all the guns out of the house because she thought my dad was going to kill us. <laughs> and then, that, it's like the record scratch, you know, moment yeah. in every movie. And everybody's just looking at me and a friend reaches over, touches my arm. Teresa, that? It's not funny. That's sad. <laughs> like oh, it's funny because it's sad, you That's guys. Right. <laughs> That's right, everybody. Oh, and those poor girls. Yeah, they really talk about culture shock. They yeah, also had they, to sort of they got it too. Somebody that yeah, that, that they were like, oh, life can be like that too. Uh oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. And so, and 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 so, while in college, um, listen, I'm I'm delighted to hear that there was a feminist club at BYU. It didn't ever occur to me that that would be something that could exist. So it was um, there. It was a struggle every day. We constantly had to fight for advisors. Our advisors kept getting fired. Um, we, we had to have everything we did approved by, uh, in fact, in the news right now, there's a lot of really fascinating stuff happening at BYU and their honor code. Um, the BYU police department is, uh, like the justice department is trying to decertify the police department because the police department has been reporting on students to the honor code office. So say a woman gets raped, say she had a couple beers at this party where she was attacked. If she reports that the two beers that she had would be enough to kick her out of school, according to this honor code. And the BYU police department was actively working to like report on this information to the honor code office for victims. So it's, it's bonkers. So yeah, that was kind of the environment we had. We, uh, the year before I got there, we had this program called the clothesline project. It's an incredible project. It, it, it shows up at country at, uh, uh, colleges and art galleries all over the country, probably internationally now. Um, but it's basically these clotheslines are hung in a public square and t-shirts 
are displayed and the t-shirts have been decorated by survivors of abuse. And the, the thought is we're going to air out the dirty laundry in our community. We're going to talk about these secrets. So we had this mm. at, at BYU. It was on BYU campus. And because it's a bunch of Mormons, there's spiritual abuse is very, very much a part of all of this. And anytime somebody referred to something about spiritual abuse, uh, church leaders and school leaders would take it as like anti-Mormon rhetoric. And so what, are, what do we mean by spiritual abuse? Just to, to back up for a second. Well, um, being told that God will only love you if you're a certain way that, ah, uh, you, there you, go. you have to, um, pay your tithing in order to, uh, which is 10% of your income to the church or else like, uh, Russell mm -hmm. M. Nelson just gave a talk at th this last week at this most recent conference that, um, was really emphasizing to people to come back to the church while there's still time and you don't want to be separated from your family in heaven because of the choices that you make. And there, there was one article I really appreciated in response to it that kind of talked about how like our father in heaven, which is how Mormons really talk about God or heavenly father should not be the Godfather. It should never be like real nice family you got here. Shame if something happened to it. But that's right. That's really how it. There's so much coercion in how these things are discussed that really is just considered normal. So, uh, and in relationships of domestic violence, um, because we have a patriarchal male only priesthood, that is used to abuse women so often. You'll get an abusive spouse who will say, I'm the priesthood holder. It's my job to say what happens. You don't get to spend money. You don't get to see your friends. You don't get to talk to your parents. You, you're going to believe what I tell you. You know, there, anytime you have a population that is cut out from power, you're going to have that population be abused. So it, it's really, it's really rife in the church. I, I have to tell Mormons a lot. Like, if you think we're better than Catholics on this issue, you're lying to yourself. We are every right. bit as bad as the Catholics for these church abuse scandals. And I know stories that are worse. And it's, yeah, it, it's a comforting fiction that a lot of people have. And so this project in particular was really disrupting that comforting fi fiction. So uh, Meryl Bateman, who was a general authority for the church at the time, one of the leaders of the church and a president of BYU, he himself came to where this clothesline project was and tore the t-shirts down. Artwork created by women in violence shelters and uh, by children in their therapist's office. He's tearing them down and throwing them on the ground because it's so offensive to him that as these people are sharing their stories of abuse that might have some overlap with some church parts, uh, right. like the, there is this, because M Mormonism is such a missionary focused church, really it's hard to overemphasize how much that affects the, even the thoughts, like let alone the actions of each member, because we, we are all kind of given this belief that, um, you know, every member of missionary is one of our slogans, every member of missionary, everybody get out there, tell your friends what the truth is, lead them to the one right. true church. And, uh, it's, it, it, it gets in you in such a way that you feel a responsibility to the church, even more than you feel a responsibility to yourself. So you don't talk about things that put the church in a bad light. You or yeah. Or, and it, yeah, absolutely. Including 
God, there's everything about it feels like it. Why would you? You, you got to put your best face forward. And exactly. You can't let anyone know that this kind of stuff can exist within the religion. If you're trying to get more people to join, you have right. to present it as a perfect. Yeah. We're the happy, shiny faces that, you know, that have all the answers and everybody. And, you know, the people, like, I still call myself Mormon. There's a lot of nuance in there. Uh, The church doesn't want to be called Mormon anymore. They want to be called the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Uh, I roll. But um, anyway, so because they don't want to use the term Mormon anymore, I feel like that makes it up for grabs for people like me, (laughs) who I don't have any loyalty to the institution, but this is my heritage. This is my culture. These are my people. This is my, you know, ethnicity in in a lot of ways and Mm -hmm. how these things work in our lives. And um, I don't want to let any of that go. I want to claim all of the good things that I got through those years and I'm not giving those up for anybody. So the people in the church really often are some of the very best people you could ever want to meet. And yeah. often that actually makes them even better victims. So yeah. we oh, have, gosh, they're, you're they're, breaking my heart. It's, so it's true. There are predators that oh. seek our congregations out because yeah. they know we are sitting ducks because we believe that everybody is good like us and everybody's striving for good like us. And we don't want to think bad of anybody and we don't want to gossip. And, and we defer to authority to a degree that is really, it can be hard to distinguish from, I mean, I, I'm tiptoeing around the cult word basically. <laughs> I know, I know you are. <laughs> it's it's so it's offensive really hard. to people oh, in gosh. it, and I would have been so offended by that. But I guess oh, maybe man. another way to talk about it is fundamentalism. You know, there's yeah. aspects of fundamentalism in any institution, even yeah. University of Michigan. You know, is fundamentalist in their belief of uh, defending their famous doctor and their gymnastics program to the point where they throw you know, generations of women into the arms of a predator. So it's not just religion, it's institutions, period. Right. It's human well said, institutions. Well but since this is my location, this is, you know, my corner of the vineyard, as we might say, this is where I feel called to do this work. And unfortunately that often means like bursting some really beautiful bubbles for people and saying like the reality that you want to be true is just not true. It's just not. But I also feel like accepting that is like the secret to happiness because if you, I I kind of, sometimes I'll joke about abused child privilege because (laughs) I do think that there are some silver linings in certain aspects of your life being bad enough that you have to address. You're right. There's a, there's a certain, I mean, it's even when we talk about relationships, like, Mm -hmm. like the complacency of things just kind of not being great versus them coming to a head and people having such a hard time making decisions about whether to stay or jobs, whether to stay in a job that's just kind of not great but you can't necessarily put your finger on this one thing that is out and out horrible or or wrong or abusive um you know you don't do anything about it i i see it a lot with my um friends who have complicated relationships with their parents you know trying to have that adult relationship with the person who raised you it's just difficult period and sometimes with certain friends i will just look at them and be like 
do you know you don't have to do this? <laughs> like, mm. I, I haven't spoken to my parents uh, since very shortly after I got married at 20 um, to my BYU football player husband. <laughs> and we're still married. But uh, yeah, I, I haven't spoken to my parents since then. And as I mentioned, I've restricted some other relationships with siblings and things. And it's it was necessary for me. It really did lead to health and happiness and success in life. And so every once in a while, I'll look at somebody and just think, mm, you know, <laughs> you might yeah. uh, consider. I mean, I don't say that because that's not something you say to somebody. But yeah. I will say, you know, maybe boundaries would be good to look at. So, yeah, that's kind of how I feel about life in general. When, uh, when, li- when your life is really hard, you don't have the illusion that life is not supposed to be hard. So when hard things come at you, it's like, oh, all right, well, life. And there's not that sense of betrayal of like, but I'm a good person. Why me? You know, it's if your life is just always hard, it's like, why not you? What do you think you're more special than the kids in Africa or whatever? Like, why should you be exempt from hardship? That's kind of the point of being a human. Like what? Yeah. Uh, And so I find that just to be completely freeing, like this radical acceptance, but it's, it is, I still recognize it's a tough place to get to. So I'm sorry, my beloved Mormons, if I'm saying things that are hurting your heart, uh, but it's so, you know. well, and yeah, and, but, but, but everything you're saying also ties into this idea of you having the gumption, uh, and, and, and the, the stubbornness I'm mm-hmm. sure it took to fight as long as you did to yeah. say, look at all these things that are great. Um, and, and, and PS, aren't we supposed to be part of a religion that invites questioning and that, right. uh, invites, you know, in, an individual's relationship with God, because that, that is one of the things that's different and ostensibly can be very special about yeah. Mormonism. If you, if you are a believer in God is that, you know, you do have this very close one-on-one relationship with God, uh, that, that you aren't just waiting to, you're not only waiting to hear from your right. authority figure, that is the mouthpiece of whereas you know you know many older religions uh do have that sort of like well i don't know i mean i i pray to god but i'm not looking for an answer i I get my answer from the pope or whatever um you know that that sort of i mean that was a thing that i i struggled with so early on and that you know i mean my my understanding of doctrine and of the problems therein uh, is mm-hmm. so t- such a tiny percentage to what you uh have experienced <laughs> and 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 gone through and and come to understand um but but even just you know so early on i remember thinking like why, why, why are we pretending like eight years yeah. old is the right time to make a decision right. or you're making this life commitment to the church? Like it feels on, it feels like, Oh, how cool. Because you're taught that right. as a kid, you're like, you know, what's so special about us is that we don't just baptize you when, a ba- when you're a baby, you get to make, you have the privilege of making the decision right. on your own to become a full-time member of this church. And even at that age, I felt real weird about it because my dad wasn't a part of the church, you know, he was not. And so, um, it wasn't something that I would have necessarily done on my own. I'm in fact, I'm sure I wouldn't have because I'm more, because especially then I think I was a more of a passive chooser than an active one. So Mm -hmm. if there was a choice between you either get into the water or you don't get into the water, I would have been like, I'll just not get in. I'm pretty good as I am. Like I'm not looking for something to change. So why don't I just not get in the water? Uh, but, 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 but how confusing and how conflicted those messages are 
And it it sounds to me like they continue on that way through your oh. life and through your life's relationship yes. with the church, which is, you know, there's a lot of, of rhetoric about how free and how inquisitive you can be and how you can study world religions and how you know just like joseph smith you know you have the opportunity to look around and question the things that aren't working for you and 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 have and be able to prey on it and be able to you know so so there's this illusion what seems like it's probably an illusion because otherwise things would have changed faster right Uh, this (laughs) illusion of participation and an illusion of seeking answers and having enlightenment but then for someone like you who you know kind of checks the boxes of Mm -hmm. well i'm supposed to be able to do all these things and the answer i keep coming back with is this isn't right yeah and then to have and and then to just be met with complete and total resistance um i i I can't imagine a person who had not gone through your hardships (sighs) i think that that person would have walked away much faster because it just would have felt like well this is too hard i think that i think it's so thorny with faith because it it just goes so deep and affects so many different parts of your life and development in ways that I'm still figuring out. I mean, just the other day I had a panic attack when my computer wouldn't work and I figured out with my therapist that the reason I was having this panic attack when my computer wouldn't work is because this internalized belief that as a woman, I shouldn't like work outside the home was sinful period. And I'm like, but I don't believe that I've always worked, but this shit gets in so when you're so young and so impressionable and that you're being told that this is how everything works and you're just a sponge and you take it all in. Like it's, yeah, yeah, it gets in deep in all kinds of unprecedented ways. So there's, I have a lot of peers who don't come from my background and have their own reasons for doing it. But I think that there, that it is always tied up in this, like taking the message at their word and being surprised to find out that that's not the case. So like, you know, my parents are dirtbags. They're not taking me to church every week. They're only taking me to church as often as is necessary for them to like score points in their own war of the roses arguments, you know? So, Mm -hmm. so I was not getting my Mormonism, at least in my young formative years from church lessons, I was really getting it from my own personal study. I I've often referred to myself over the years as kind of a home study Mormon because I would read the scriptures and I would pray and I would take that promise seriously that if Joseph was just this 14 year old farm boy, and that's supposed to be the glory of that message is that it's available to all of us. And so in my teenage years, I went, okay, like you said so, so I believe you. And, and I just acted from that place. So I had so many hours and hours of just really sweet, meaningful, personal communion really with the divine. And I didn't realize until I was older, how rare that is for people in general, but for Mormons, like most members, they go to church and they are you know, instructed at church. And, and we do have a lot of participation. We give sermons as members. Um, you know, there's not like one designated sermon giver. We are the sermon givers. So, you know, even the most, uh, passive is still engaged in that way and engaged in classroom work and things. But the messages there are filtered through a program called correlation. So basically as the church 
grew, you know, they settled in Utah and then grew and there's churches all across the world and the internet isn't invented yet. And it's 1920 or whatever. And, uh, they're realizing that they need to kind of, um, systematize things. They need to develop Mm -hmm. coursework. They need to develop manuals. They need to like train their people. And so that became this correlation program. And like a lot of big bureaucracies, um, there were some unintended consequences. And over the years, like women in the earlier days of the church used to have all kinds of freedom to participate in these charismatic gifts of the spirit, giving blessings, um, especially confinement blessings, like pre-birth blessings. Women would do that all the time. They'd speak in tongues, administer the temple. They'd do all these things. And then over the years, through this correlation, the church has just put more and more and more under the auspices of the priesthood. And so now Mm. even to like take, you know, to help the bishop's office, to work in the clerk's office and handle the tithing, to teach Sundays, like to be in the Sunday school presidency, that it's sometimes we'll refer to it as priesthood creep, where more and more and more uh, positions and responsibilities get culturally determined to be, it's really a best if the priesthood does that. And so more and more women are limited and limited over the years. So I'm just reading like the original stuff and I go to church and I'm like ready to put it to the test and the rules are completely different. And I had no idea because I'm just going off of the, it's like I showed up to the final exam and I'd never been to class. I'd only read the book and like all the essay questions are about the lectures, you know? Well, it's so interesting because that's that, that what you've just described is sort of, uh, man, again, I'm not a scholar in, in any form of scripture whatsoever. Um, but it feels anecdotally to me, like it's sort of the opposite of the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. That I mean, certainly there are things that you can quote in the Bible where you say, well, you're being violent, but doesn't the Bible say this? Right. But, you know, all, most of the time it it seems like it gets used in the opposite way, right? That this is sort of rigid interpretation usually ends up meaning that, um, that, that, worse things come out of it right or mm. that you know mm-hmm. what, right, right. What, what the general public who doesn't follow the bible to the letter would say you know that's restrictive to the point of 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 being ridiculous and right. it's not and, and that is fundamental uh, mm-hmm. fundamentalist in a way that harms other people or what have you versus coming to something and saying actually it seems to me that we should be able to do x y and z because historically this right. was a thing it, it, it that does seem really ironic right yeah that, that that as the rest of the world is sort of moderating its own, you know, moderating moderating its own prejudices, moderating its own bigotry, and 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 the restrictions that they that that it places on uh, blacks and women's and mm-hmm. you know women's yeah yeah uh, sure. <laughs> yeah I said it. Um, but you know but 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 all these different cultures that have been oppressed and then you're, you're like, but Hey, wait, I thought we could do this. Right. But now, but what you're now you're saying this is being taken away. That's just so confusing. Yeah. And when, when my foundational feelings of faith were being formed by this, you know, very personal, like just me in my bedroom in prayer and what I'm feeling back and meditation and just this very tender personal one-on-one where all I felt was love. That's all I felt back. And just, it was my first, I mean, cause this is dramatic, but it is true. There was literally nobody who cared about me in my youth. You know, I'm just this like nomadic 
you know, ragamuffin that is in a different neighborhood every year. No, nobody cared, you know? And so I'm experiencing these really tender, deep emotional moments of feeling like God cares, Jesus cares, and just feeling such intense love that like, I feel like the loving person I am today, the fact that I've been able to break the abusive patterns in the way that I have is because of those moments that I had in that personal devotional time. Um, and so when my whole thing is like, God is love, Jesus is love. Isn't this beautiful? I know what love feels like because of this. And then you go to church and it's like, women shouldn't work outside the home and don't do, and don't pray to this. Like we're not, we have Heavenly Mother, but we're not going to talk about her because she's so sacred. And, uh, we're never going to talk about our history with black people or native American people. Oh my goodness. The history history of Mormonism and native people does not ever get enough play. It's horrific, horrific. And, um, yeah, we never address any of these issues that are, that the church needs to repent for its treatment of gay people, its treatment of trans people. The church needs to repent for that. And, and no, they're just like, nope, we just, God says we don't have to do it anymore. So we're not going to do it anymore. And we're just going to keep steamrolling right ahead. Oh, oh, it's time for a quick break. I will be back after a word from our friends at Maximum Fun. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my friend's favor. Judge John Hodgman ruled in my favor. I'm Judge John Hodgman. You're hearing the voices of real litigants, real people who have submitted disputes to my internet court at the Judge John Hodgman podcast. I hear their cases. I ask them questions. They're good ones. And then I tell them who's right and who's wrong. Thanks to Judge John Hodgman's ruling... My dad has been forced to retire one of the worst dad jokes of all time. Instead of cutting his own hair with a flobie, my husband has his hair cut professionally. I have to join a community theater group. And my wife has stopped bringing home wild animals. It's the Judge John Hodgman podcast. Find it every Wednesday at MaximumFun.org or wherever you download podcasts. Thanks, Judge John Hodgman. Even for me as a person who has, who has struggled to believe in a higher power, whether like for, for me, you talking about those moments that you had, mm-hmm. my brain is telling me, and I don't know if this is like, again, you can just, no, no, I'm getting go for it. Full of shit. But <laughs> to, for me in my brain, I'm thinking, you know, if the worst case scenario is that that was self-love, if the yeah. worst case scenario is that you created all of that wonderful energy for you yourself alone, and there was nothing else contributing yeah. to that in the world, no energy of other people, no, you know, no ghosts, no right. heavenly mothers, no heavenly fathers, no Hindu gods. If it was all coming from you, how powerful is that in and of itself and i'm not saying that's that is what it was but actually case scenario if there's nothing else the fact that you were able to take care of yourself in that way if that had ended up being being what it was how wonderful and what a tremendous capacity for self-care that that we have you know if if that were the case okay the segue you just handed me is ridiculous it's gonna sound planned This is incredible. (laughs) So I don't think you even know this about me, actually. What I'm doing now is I run a self-care business. (laughs) Hilarious. Perfect. 
So no, what you were describing is actually complete. I am on board a hundred percent because so, uh, basically about, uh, five years ago, uh, a lot of us Mormon activists really started saying, okay, I think, you know, we've, we've got numbers, we've got connection through the internet. I think we're ready to do more than just educating. Let's take this into direct action. And so we started um, doing some protests and other campaigns to try to get church leaders to listen to the voices of women and how there are some really simple non-doctrinal changes that can affect the women's participation in the church in radical ways. And, um, the church just absolutely refused to deal. They said like, we don't, it, it was basically like, we don't negotiate with terrorists. I mean, that was kind of the approach, yeah, I bet. you know? I bet. And so I kind of, uh, I, I kind of said, well, maybe I can do some behind the scenes negotiating. So I tried everything. I, I called in every family favor. I called in everybody I knew who knew a guy. I, I eventually figured out the email, um, yeah, the, like how they determined the email addresses for the church. And I mean, it's not a terribly complicated code, but I figured out how they assigned the emails. And so I wrote emails to all of the 15 most high ranking leaders in the church. And uh, I wrote them essay after essay saying like, I represent these women. Just let me report on these experiences to you. Because at this point, especially, I was still assuming all good intentions and that they just didn't know. So I'm like, just let me be a consultant. Let me explain what, what these women are experiencing because I trust that you will want to have this information. And in just mm -hmm. a really heartbreaking display, um, no, they did not want that information. They know exactly mm. what women are dealing with and they want it this way. And, uh, then they started excommunicating people. They excommunicated Kate Kelly, who was the head of that organization, ordained women. Since then they've executed, uh, executed, yikes, uh, excommunicated, um, a Listen, number, fair, fair. right? I mean, spiritually kind of, um, yeah. like excommunicated. The one that really gets me is a man named, um, uh, Sam Young, who's out of Texas. And he started an organization called Protect LDS Children. He was featured in Elna's This American Life, or at least his organization was, um, story. I was going to say, yeah, that's... Um, yeah, his thing was like, stop the closed door interviews with minors about sexuality. There's just no, there's no good that can come of that. <laughs> there's none. So just stop yeah. it. And yeah. he was excommunicated for his activist efforts. And to to try to stop the sexual abuse of children. He was excommunicated. They did not enact any of the practices that people like Sam or me or others have been asking, conduct a background check, please. Like anything, anything, like doors in the windows. I mean, door, windows in the doors, like do yeah. one thing, one thing to show yeah. that you want to actually yeah. protect these kids and not your reputation. But time after time after time, I mean, the news stories now are starting to come out of Utah fast and furious of, you know, people are starting to see that they shouldn't go to their Bishop with these stories. They should go to the police. So finally we're seeing this Bishop accused Sterling Van Wagenen, who is the co founder of Sundance and is the producer and director of the videos that are shown in our temples for some of our most sacred educational ceremonies. He is currently facing charges of sexual abuse that happened in 2013 through 2017, which is when he was making those temple videos, like the highest pinnacle of our Ugh. religious expression in this life Gross. was made by a child molester. And he confessed they let him do it anyway. 
I mean, there's story after story. If you've seen Abducted in Plain Sight and you were horribly confused about why these parents would allow B into their life, because he was their bishop, because their stake president told the family, help him repent, help him support him in this. That's why they let him lay in her bed, because they were told to by their stake president. Wait a minute. He was their bishop? Yeah. They don't even say that in the documentary. No, they don't. They sure don't. Oh my God. That's so fucking banana. That's why people like me were going all around the internet going, no, because the the parents' behavior is completely mystifying if you don't know that. And in, uh, yeah, in, listen, it didn't. You know what? It didn't surprise me in right. one iota, and I didn't know anything about anything other than the Mormon. F- and yeah. b- and also, by the way, I didn't know they were Mormon. Like I knew ah! nothing within the first few sentences of the entire documentary with the way that they spoke. Yes. I said, "Oh, they're Mormon." Yeah, like I mean, because I was told like you got to watch this. You know, when it very first came out, someone was like, "You got to watch this. It's so bonkers." Yeah, and so I I put it on, and I just immediately I was like, "Oh, they're Mormon." Yeah, and Brandon was like, "How do you know that?" And I I was like, "I don't know. I just I hear it. I know that they are, and I and I can see the openness of their faces, and I can see that there's this sort of like without knowing what this documentary is about, I can already tell there's a blind trust that I myself have been guilty of that I have to check myself, you know, but I also have to be careful not to go so far into cynicism. Like there has to be some sort of balance there. Yeah. So I don't want to lose some of that. But, and then when, and ever, and as everything was unfolding, I just had my head in my hands because I was, I was like, this is everything. This is, this is my, this is our worst nightmare of, of anybody that has been concerned about, all of those qualities and I didn't even know that that he was their bishop I was just like I just thought anybody from the outside coming in who seems to know what they're talking about and seems to have good intentions it doesn't even matter if they're Mormon like it still seemed to me that it could happen because you think you you're you're both the, the the idea at least from my memory is that you're both (laughs) <laughs> you're both totally um you're, you're totally under the thumb of mormon authority and that you're a, mm-hmm. you are a member of a flock absolutely right. you're a sheep you're a lamb of god whatever that you are 100 deferential to the church itself mm-hmm. but that conversely you are very much personally empowered to fix other people who aren't yeah. in the church so yeah. Yeah. it's this That's really great. fucked up mindset of like I, you know, I got to do everything that this guy says I should do, but also here's this person who's coming in who seems wounded in some way. And maybe if I just give them a blowjob in their car, like, I don't know, like, so there's so many thoughts to hold in your head at one time. If you're a devout Mormon, that no wonder people have sickness. No wonder people get confused and, and do things and then go, how could I ever have thought that was a good idea? Yeah. Yeah, it's so sick. And when you have to cover up any kind of sexual expression at all, like a lot of people have commented about the blowjob story and how the dad has to be closeted. And I've had to come in like stomping into so many online discussions saying, fuck you, how dare you? The whole point is that it's abusive. His desires, reactions, orientation, it didn't matter. 
That's what made it abusive. So how about we stop speculating on somebody's orientation, you assholes? No, but (laughs) absolutely. No, no, absolutely. And like, you know, you assholes, but also they don't know any better. They don't know better. I know. But no, but no, but it's, but, but that's, that's, that's very true. And that's a, that's a thing to take. That's absolutely a thing to take sort of umbrage uh, at, especially as a survivor, you know, to remember that, yeah, this is, this is, this is beyond, this is beyond right. like, oh, he he saw something in this guy that told him he was gay. It's like so many Mormons don't even allow their brains to go no. there. So you can see that he may have been homosexual and you're like, I hope he well, if he is, I, I, I you sort you almost hope that he doesn't recognize that because yeah. then he's then he's torturing himself in a whole new way. If you're exactly. just completely, you know, if you're aware of something and you hate yourself for it versus, you know, ignorance is bliss like, oh, he's lobotomized his sexuality yeah. like he's yeah. just lobotomized his sexuality oh, so you know he doesn't it, yeah. even know what, what and, and, and in a way you're almost like well these are this is a lesser of two seriously deep evils but right. you almost want that for them because at least it involves a possibly less agony frankly right right totally yeah the the family is still practicing mormon which is why it really wasn't addressed in the film because every member missionary you know you don't want to put the church in a bad light and to be fair again like i know all too well if you are a person who has experienced trauma you need community you need hope like yes like they they should cling to it if like yes don't like whatever you need go for it family i support you and and still participating because if that means that you can get through this horrific experience and your faith can, you know, bring you through that, then God bless you. Um, but I also know that the family did face community pressure to leave the church out of it. And, uh, and that's the part that I'm disturbed at. Like, you know, the family, sure. God love you. Make whatever choice is best for you. You know, just get through this world how you can. But, uh, but for the, community and and you know i wish the producers the documentarians had uh, addressed that a little bit differently but <laughs> i mean yeah. i'm i'm gobsmacked i did not know that that he was our bishop yeah. and that's just um that's such a you're you're right it's it's such a massive massive piece of the puzzle yeah it's it's in a weird way like the like the sort of I was just listening to a podcast where someone had brought that up and said that they were watching reaction videos which is just like I don't live on the I don't live on the internet at all so I'm sort of off it and in my own world like with my hands in dirt as often as possible um that I don't you know I just don't hear about stuff like this nor do Mm -hmm. like I I I didn't even know the reaction videos were a thing until a lot later on (laughs) other people did I was like oh really that's where we are okay um but then I was like, oh, that makes sense. Like, of course, we're interested in how other people react. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. everything gets filtered through the lens of like uh, the web now. But um, but I feel like if I feel like I feel like if you had filmed me watching the documentary, my, my, my only reactions would have just been to like, again, like put my head in my hands and shake my head sadly, like yes. to not even be that surprised by all yeah. of this. And and the only reaction video that would have been interesting was you telling me that, that he was <laughs> bishop and that that wasn't in the documentary. Like that is what, that is actually what incited the reaction that would have been worthy of a video. Cause I was like, what? How could they not say that? 
that's the biggest shocker for me. Nothing else in the in the in the most shocking documentary that everyone is just aghast over is yeah. surprising to me. The way that that is surprising to me. Yeah, uh, I do think that the documentary did a lot of Mormon women a service because by leaving the church out of it, it it somehow did not engage some of those defensiveness measures. And I, there were so many women I've spoken to that were like, I didn't think it was that, I didn't feel like I'd ever been sexually abused or anything, but then I watched that and I went, oh wait, maybe. Because it's some, like, mm. first, first of all, nobody has to touch you for it to be sexual abuse, you Boy, know? Like, that's the truth. And that's so, the truth. so it's that kind of experience that a lot of women are having going, I've lobotomized my, I, I am a woman. I feel like I had lobotomized my own sexuality because at around, well, so big. Okay. So, uh, let me, uh, timeline. Let's see. Okay. So we were doing the protests. Um, the church response was hell no, get out. Um, and, uh, and they lied about us to the press. They, they had, uh, told the press that we were just like these rowdy, you know, destructive. And we were church ladies in our dresses singing, I am a child of God and weeping, you know, and they're saying like, no, they were doing, you know, just, this just is lie. like Scientology, huh? Wow. Really it is. Really I mean, there's a lot is. more, a lot more I mean, parallels than, than you yeah, hope would than be people there. want to admit it's really true. It's hurtful for people to look at. So I I'm wincing for them, but it really is true. because you could basically have your own Leah Remini. Like you could have, yeah, I could. I you could. could. You could. You could have. You could have easily have stories. a thirteen-part series of people as people's experience in the church and people leaving the church mm -hmm. that would rival that show. I mean, there's just no question about it. I've got stories that I can't even. I can't tell publicly, partly because I believe in confidentiality, but also because it, people don't believe it. They just dismiss it as conspiracy theories, and it's like, where where do you think child pornography comes from? Where do you think sex trafficking happens? Yeah. Do you think that that's all just strangers that live in gutters what like no they just don't want to believe that people are capable of evil well one could argue one could argue and this is a very cynical perspective but one could argue that for any religion to become truly globally successful it can only be conspiracy it can only involve conspiracy it has yeah. to it has to because humans are broken and that's yeah. that's that's the reality and the more you hide that the more broken it becomes because yeah. the more buried it becomes and the mm -hmm. more and so and the know, more invested just no, you are in hiding it the more invested mm -hmm. you are in hiding it and so there's no i you know there's no way for it, 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 any religion that presents itself as being the answer the one and only yeah. answer and the true answer um is is almost certainly has not yeah. left room for, and by the way, these are all of the things that have happened within the church as well. Yeah. I just don't see how that's possible. I, I agree. <laughs> I really don't. And I, I know that's that... a really cynical thing to say, and I'm sure people would be like, hi, um, I've been a member of the Baha'i right. religion for X amount sure, of years. I'll be like, right. I totally accept that. We're also yeah. not, nobody's talking, like, I don't right. think a lot of people are talking about the Baha'i religion, the way they're talking about you know, what right. happens in the Catholic church. Like they're not, there's a reason that Baha'i is does exactly. not have the membership that the Catholic church does. There's a reason that you use or like the unassuming pals in the chapel down the street and not controlling a state, you know? <laughs> and I can't speak, I really can't speak to, I can't speak to, you know, Hinduism. I can't, I can't speak. Yeah. I shouldn't try to speak towards religions that are further from the kind of westernized right. culture, but, um, but because I, I absolutely don't have any working knowledge of that whatsoever. But anything that is sort of 
uh, anything that feels like it's Christ and God related um, feels real specious <laughs> to me in terms of yeah. like how honest you you can be, especially at the beginning or, you know, as thing as it becomes it as it as the boom happens when when the religion is spreading. It just seems like how, why well, would you ever let people say this happens here too? like, why would you want anyone to know that? Right. Why would you want to dilute your truth claim? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Joseph Smith actually has this famous quote that he says, um, a religion that does not require the sacrifice of all things never has power sufficient to produce the faith necessary unto life and salvation. I had to look it up so I could quote, I can't quote that from memory. <laughs> Well, it's very 18th century speak, but basically saying, yeah, if, if a religion is going to get somebody to life and exaltation, it has to require the sacrifice of all things. And if you have a human with human motivations, making those determinations that can become real ugly, real fast. Yeah. And if you have an organization that is invested in its public perception over the, you know, spiritual counsel of its wounded members, that also gets real ugly real fast. Well, it's so, a family. It's key, it's a family matter, right? It's right, keep it in the exactly. family. Keep we it keep it in the, the family, family and mm-hmm. that family gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller yeah. the worse the thing is. It's yeah. like you know, maybe we can, maybe there's a, maybe there's a situation in which we will have to keep it in the family of our congregation, our congregation, because, you know, it happened under these circumstances or someone, you know, in a talk, someone had to repent for blah, 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 but like, let's keep it just within that small family. And then it's like, well, let's keep it within just this family of this, these kids and these Mm -hmm. parents and the bishop. And then it's like, well, let's just keep it in the family of just the bishop and this one person. Yeah. (laughs) You know, like, let's make it as small as we can. The, the, default is to worry about the repentance of the sinner and not at all about the comfort of the victim. Right. And so like in the abducted in plain sight story, the victim and their families will be told, you know, forgive, forgive, forgive. So we can all move on, you know, and so that this, this can all be behind us and this person can be dealt with, but that's not how forgiveness works. And if we had like three other hours, I would launch into a huge sermon about that, mm-hmm. about the difference between forgiveness and boundaries um, and uh, the effect of that on, you know, sufferers. It's, it, it, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's a, is there a good, a is there thing. a good podcast that exists right now that you like that is like a podcast dedicated to no. these conversations about, uh, about the church of Latter-day Saints? No, there's really not. There's some that are good, like Year of Polygamy exists. And I think that's an excellent program um, that really shows how polygamy was actually practiced. We have all these myths about our history. You know, we just did it because they were pioneers and all the men died and that we had to take care of the women. And no, that's not true at all. It's not true. That's not true at all. Uh, Listen, most, we can talk about this offline, but I would totally yes. be up for like helping facilitate something oh, regular yeah. and something that, you know, is... Let's revisit that issue. There's some things that exist out there, but there's anyway, it's a real inside baseball thing of why I would say no. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I'd be super into that. Um, But, you know, so when we did all these uh, protests, I I, kind of wanted to get back to what you were saying of like, even if it's just you, you know. Oh, yeah. The whole um, self-care. Because 
because that is kind of, I basically, once I realized that the church leaders were not the men that I thought that they were, um, and part of that was my own experiences through the protests and being lied about and the emails exchanged, but it's also been my work in victim advocacy. And this is public. It's not very widely known. So again, this might be bruising to hear, but it is all public information. Um, the current prophet of the church is Russell M. Nelson, his children, one of his daughters and her husband, the Miles couple, are currently being sued for running a child abuse ring in the 90s, maybe late 80s. Um, this was brought forward at the time and it was all dismissed as like satanic panic, you know, kids just talking about daycare stuff and and uh, clinicians planting memories and all this. But, um, but now we've got Anyway, there's evidence. There's actual evidence. So they've brought this case again now that the victims are adults. Um, and uh, there's evidence that Russell Nelson himself, as along with other leaders of that same hierarchy, were involved in, I mean, you know how these things work. Maybe calling it a cover-up is a bit much, but definitely he used his influence to kind of smooth things over. Let's put right, it that right, way. Right. Oh, sure. so his, his children are as, of, as we, as right now being sued for their uh, involvement in child pedophilia and, uh, the prophet who is like on the level of our Pope is yeah. involved in this case. And that's just what's public. But because of my work in abuse spaces, I know stories that would peel paint off the walls mm. that go all the way to the top. That, like I said, I can't even talk about because people just think it's it's crazy. I, I, I but, don't think it's crazy at all because yeah. I know enough and experienced enough to as I as you as I said, just watching that documentary, like mm -hmm. just thinking, just to me, everything is perfectly aligned. It's like right. a yellow brick road to yeah. those types of things. And so, um, similarly to Scientology, how you'll have this one level where like. Elizabeth Moss and Tom Cruise, and they seem happy and things seem to be working okay for them. Then you have the other people that nobody's paying attention to. And that's right. very similar in our faith. You know, we've got our Donnies and Marie's and, you know, we've got our big public face and bright and shiny. And then under the surface, like I said, in every institution, but this is our flavor of it. Right. There is sex trafficking. Tra sex trafficking that is happening within our communities. There is child pedophilia that is happening within our communities. And another public case that came out a year ago, maybe, um, a woman named McKenna Dennison came forward and said that she had been raped by the MTC president when she was in the, M the missionary training center. So she's being called to serve a mission. I don't remember where she was called to, but you know, we send our youths all around the world and you go to this missionary training center to learn how to be a missionary. And while she was there, the president of the missionary training center raped her. So last year, as an adult, she confronted him. She posed as a journalist and she got him on tape admitting everything. <gasps> and it's incredibly powerful. She's incredibly powerful. Um, but the church knew. She reported it. She reported it to her bishop who dismissed her. Similar to me. Like the bishop didn't believe me. The bishop didn't believe mm -hmm. her. They said, well, you know, why do we want to ruin this man's whole life because of one accusation? He's the MTC. That's a very, very high ranking position, you know? Right. Uh, and, and everything was just kind of dismissed and gone away. But no, they knew. And they put him, they knew he was a problem before they ever put him to the posting before he got to the MTC. 
that, that, that posting, there were problems. Then he gets to the MTC. They knew all of this. Like mm. literally when I say it's as bad as Catholics, I mean it literally. Sure. And hopefully we're learning from what has been brought to the light through the Catholic church experience. Things that, I mean, there was a recent Buzzfeed article about behavior in orphanages that is just, mm brain bending, you know, yeah. and the same stuff happens in our communities. And a lot of times it's with native American kids who were taken from their homes off the reservation to live with a nice Mormon family because mm -hmm. racism and, you know, then they were abused. So they were sent to a home that was vetted for this program and they were abused in this program. And, uh, yeah, and over and over and over and over again, there's these stories that, and these are just the public ones. These are the ones that have come to court cases. You know, these aren't the ones that I am sitting on that, you know, I right, right. can't tell. Yeah. So it, yeah. And, and, you know, like I say, I have grace for institutions, but there's no reason to not be addressing this any longer. You know, there's, yeah. there's no room. So once I, once I kind of had to face that ugly reality that the men that i nigh unto worshipped, you know, that I, every word that came out of their mouth became my new life direction. And they were just not who I thought they were. They just weren't. And so I haven't attended church since then. And where I've kind of landed for myself is coming from an organization that was so authoritative and had these exclusive truth claims. We are the one true church. We're the only church on the planet that has, you know, the full authority of God. Um, and you know, the prophet speaks for God, like these very black and white, right and wrong. We have the truth. Others don't claims. Um, I, I just find myself completely allergic to anything approaching that now. Absolutely. So even for myself, my own internal faith has been recontextualized. So now I just feel like I'm very comfortable in the mystery. So, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so now <clears throat> Sorry. Um, That's okay. We'll just can, edit that out. Okay. So don't you even Let me get one it. more good one out. Yeah, do it. <clears throat> uh, caught me all at once. Okay. Um, so now I am very comfortable in the mystery. So I don't need things to be true any longer for them to be meaningful. So I had an experience a little while back where I, in my old days, I would have called it a spiritual experience where I felt like I was kind of having an experience with the ancestors, you know, mm -hmm. and automatically, because I'm also a big believer in science. I, uh, anybody allergic to truth claims should learn how, how to read a peer reviewed article because you'll feel so much better. Mm, <laughs> and yeah. So now, now I am all about the science. Um, but I am kind of a mystic. So I kind of approach that view of like, magic is really just any technology sufficiently advanced, you know? So who knows? Yeah. Maybe I'm like very sensitive to vibrations or whatever the fuck. I don't care. You know, <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm so into like block universe or, or whatever it is that, yes. that, that I've, I have likened many times to a French pastry that has uh, many layers um, yes. that, you know, I, I, I don't know. And I, I, I absolutely feel uh, the same way. Yeah. So if it turns out that that experience I had with the ancestor was just my brain, my subconscious inventing an experience, I will worship my brain because that's fucking amazing. I needed help and yeah. 
I got help and I felt better and I feel like more attuned with my fellow man and I'm more full of love. So if I invented that creation, then apparently my subconscious is sufficiently advanced for me to think that it's divine. There and I'm not, I'm not threatened <laughs> by that at all. <laughs> like, it can be both. And, you yeah. know, Mormonism does have this interesting folk belief of, you know, because we believe in an embodied God, um, we, we tend to really, uh, we, we have room for science that a lot of other Christian churches don't quite have room for. Like you can study evolution at BYU, you know, right. it is definitely, you know, Christian tinged, but it's science. It's actual science. There's in right. fact, there's like actual evolutionary science breakthroughs happening at BYU. So we, we do have this room in our history because if you have an embodied God, then the rules of science kind of become the way that God works. Mm -hmm. So with that kind of a framework, I'm really comfortable thinking like, um, you know, well, maybe brain chemistry is the mechanism through which revelation happens. Yeah. Who knows? I don't care. Uh, I just know I felt better. So that's all that I really care about. And Absolutely. I do, I, you know, I am, uh, I have OCD and I have bipolar two disorder and that's another part of my advocacy as uh, fighting mental health stigmas. And, um, I would not be surprised. I am also very against armchair diagnoses and throwing around clinical labels, but you know, it would not surprise me if, uh, Joseph Smith were to reach a diagnostic level of bipolar disorder yeah. and maybe that oh, is girl. the creativity, like the yeah. connections that I can make, you know, through that neurodiversity, who the fuck knows? I don't, I don't need things to, yeah, I don't have to have the finite answers anymore. Um, because I thought I, that it's just too easy to be, um, you know, led astray really. If it, it's so seductive, like wanting there to be one true thing. That's always true. Know, and always it's so seductive. And it's so connected to just fear. It's just connected to fear. It and is. it's, and that's, and that's, and that's, you know, that's totally understandable and forgivable in the sense of the, its origin. It doesn't mean you forgive every action that's born out of that, but right. it's, it's, it's fully, fully relatable it's to very any, human. any human. Yeah. Any yeah. human animal, frankly, any, it's yeah. any, human animal like we're animals and the fear is one of the most limbic you know survival Truth. based if not the you know uh, feeling okay let me talk to you about this first of all yes. I'm gonna have to get off the phone I don't want to I would <laughs> like to just go ahead and have a part two where we pick this I'm back game. up um, I think the, the material is there. Uh, so what I'm, so what I want to do is I'm going to, I, I'm going to get off with you, uh, because I knew I had to get off at 1230 and I thought yeah. somehow stupidly giving us an hour and a half this time, like <laughs> giving us an hour and a half, it's not but like, I want to have fun and be playful at the, uh, yes. in the second half as well and do the mash game and all that kind of stuff. So, oh, cool. um, so I, I kind of knew the, like within 10 minutes that this was going to be a two parter, <laughs> which is unprecedented. I've never had one before, but oh, I'm honored, but yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> would like to release them back to back so it feels like it's a complete picture cool. so does that sound good to you yeah absolutely okay yeah The show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. MaximumFun.org Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.